So 1 Corinthians 10 is where we are today. Um, and, and this is an interesting chapter uh, because it involves a lot of ancient Jewish history, which, uh, well, we aren't really part of. I mean, um, it, it wasn't, uh, I'm, I'm guessing for the most of us, we are not steeped in ancient Jewish tradition or history. Um, and so the first portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is a, a review of Jewish history 101 for the people in the church of Corinth. Um, and so we're going to read through it and then we're going to talk through it a little bit to make sure that we're all on the same page and we understand where Paul is going with this. Um, we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in three chunks today um, as we go through the message. So the first is kind of like history 101, if you will. And you can follow along in your Bibles, but I've got it uh, in the message version up on the screen for us today. Um, and this is uh, verses 1 through 12, and it, it reads like this. Remember our history. Remember, history 101 here. Remember our history, friends, and be warned. Now, hindsight's 2020, right? So think about your own life for a moment, your own rich personal history. Go all the way back to your earliest memories. Now think about those things that if you could go back in time and tell younger you something to avoid or not do or life lessons learned, what would you go back and be, remember our history and be warned, right? If you could go back in time and tell yourself something, what was those things you would tell yourself, right? So this is kind of what Paul is doing. He's taking the people back in time, not literally, right? But, you know, mentally and helping them learn something from their forefathers. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink, meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them, that stayed with them wherever they are. And the rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert. And God was not pleased. The same thing could happen to us. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. And we must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. At first, the people partied and then they threw a dance. We must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that. Remember, 23,000 deaths in one day. Now, we must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. Discontent destroyed them. These are all warning markers, danger in our history books, written down so we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning and we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. So don't be so naive and self-confident. You are not exempt. You can fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Instead, cultivate God-confidence. So here's a fair warning in Scripture. Um, Paul takes the Corinthian church 
and brings them back to the book of Exodus. Now, you probably caught the language a little bit in the message version. It talked about the cloud, right? And it talked about going through the water, right? So Paul is taking the Corinth church, and many of them had uh, Jewish history about them, and he was walking them through Israelite history. Once there were scattered people across the face of the earth, but God chose a people through Abraham, and through Abraham, down through the generations, he was forming a nation unto himself to be specially chosen, to be called, to be loved, to be redeemed, to be his people that would show the rest of the world what God's love looks like. So this is all very basic Israelite history, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers kind of stuff. Um, so then now, God's chosen people through a series of very interesting events you can read about ended up in slavery in Egypt. We all on the same page so far? Okay. Um, and, and they were enslaved for 400 years to Egypt. But then God sent Moses, his, his chosen redeemer of the time, to the people in Egypt to lead them out of slavery. So he chose them again. Um, he led them um, and rescued them from slavery. He redeemed them from their slave masters. He freed them from Egypt. And in this process, they saw these miraculous things. They saw Moses institute these 10 plagues, right? So we've got um, the staff that turns to a snake, right? And we've got the locust and we've got the frogs and we've got the flies and we've got the hail and we've got the pestilence and we've got the darkness and we've got the water turning into blood. And then we've got the Passover, right? And so all of the people of Israel, the millions of people enslaved are witnessing these miraculous events that ultimately lead to their freedom on the night of Passover. They escaped from Egypt on the night that the firstborn son died in every home unless the home was marked by the blood of the Passover lamb. In that case, the lamb died instead of the firstborn son. Now, um, Egypt uh, kind of said, get out at this point. And Israel, free for the first time in 400 years, walked into the wilderness led by the pillar of cloud and fire. So by night, it was the presence, the burning presence of God in fire. And by day, it was this cloud, the, the thick um, presence of God upon the people, and that would lead them and guide them through the wilderness. And then they reached this impasse, right? These million some odd people reached an impasse. They were stuck. The river, they couldn't pass it. The Red Sea, it was too great an obstacle. And the cloud hovered there and it was like, well, now what's going to happen? Egypt's behind them coming up on their heels. The Red Sea's in front of them, impassable. And yet Moses walks out because of God's command, puts his feet in the water and the staff down and the Red Sea parts. And Israel in fullness walks through the Red Sea, walks through the waters and to freedom on the other side. And if that wasn't enough, the waters closed on top of Egypt, washing away the enemy of God's people, securing their freedom and their position as they walked towards the Holy Land. They were now free to worship God where they hadn't been before. They were able to worship him um, without restraint as they wandered through the wilderness towards the promised land. 
Um, continually led by the cloud and the fire, God provided food for the journey um, uh, in, in the form of this um, dry flaky substance that appeared on the ground every morning, and it was called manna, which literally translates to, what is this? Um, and so it, it would be that the people of Israel would wake up in the morning and they would look at the ground and go, what is this? I'm going to eat that. You know, and we typically don't train people to look at substances on the ground and go, hmm, I don't know what that is. Let me put that in my mouth and figure out. But God said, I will provide for you this substance, this flaky, sweet-like substance that will provide all of the nourishment that you need, and it will come directly from me. It will be bread from heaven to my chosen people to sustain them on their journey. And then when they complained a little bit and they got thirsty, God made water, clean, fresh water, pour from a rock right? And we kind of get that imagery around here, don't we? Like when it rains, we can go anywhere on this island and it just seems like the rocks are oozing with water. And sometimes, you know, as you drive towards Walmart, you know, and the, the big rock faces on the side of the road, um, and sometimes there's not water pouring off the top of the rock, right? It's literally seeping out of the very bedrock. And, and when I see that, I, it just reminds me of that passage because water came from the rock, from God, for the people, his chosen people, to go and worship him in freedom. And then, and then they get to this mountain, Mount Sinai, and, and Moses goes up to the top, right? And he meets with God in this cloud that is kind of hovering over the mountain. And the people below are trembling in fear. And Moses um, comes back with 10 commandments from God. And they are five that focus on how God and man should respond to one another. And, and five focused on how mankind should interact with mankind. And these are the, the guidelines, the rules that God says, now I'm going to reform you. You've had years and years to be formed by false gods and fear. And now I'm going to reshape you with these guidelines, these 10 commandments to be a people purified for me among all people. And Moses comes down the hill with those 10 commandments. And he sees something horrifying, absolutely detrimental to their future as the people of God. What they have done while waiting for Moses to come down the hill with a word from God is they have taken all of their gold, all of their riches. They have put it into a melting pot. They have made a golden calf. They have lifted it on high. And they have begun to sing and dance and drink and engage in cultic prostitution worship at the base of Sinai. And Moses comes down the hill and he's like, this is a few steps off from where we need to be. And we know that the Ten Commandments, the, the tablets broke and then there was some redoing of those things with Moses and God. But the problem here is that they said, we're bored, we're scared, we're uncertain of our future. I know we've just seen miraculous things that could not be accomplished by anything other than the hand of God, but we got bored and distracted while waiting for God to do something in our life at this very moment. 
So we made a God. We decided this cow that we made is the God who did all the things that we just experienced. And we're going to worship him, this false God, the way that the Egyptians worshiped their false gods, which our God just freed us from. And that made God a little frustrated. He was, he was angry, like he was angry. And if you read the account in Exodus, you really have to wrestle with your understanding of God because we understand God to be full of grace, right? And we understand God to be full of mercy. In fact, he died on the cross in our place for our sins. That is a, is a beautiful thing that we hold on to, right? But when you read in the book of Exodus this moment, they actually took that golden idol and crushed it into a, a gold powder and pestilence struck that crowd and they got sick and died, right? And poisonous snakes came upon the crowd. You want to know what the cure for the poisonous snakes was? M Moses was told to um, put a snake on a staff and lift it high above the people. And if the people repented of their sin, they would then look at the snake on the staff as repentance and they would be healed from their illness. Now, you know the, the medical symbol, the little cross with the snake? That's where that comes from. Um, that is, you look upon that and are healed. It is lifted high above the people and you look to that and receive healing. And that comes later through Jesus when he was lifted high on the cross above the people and we receive healing when we look at him. But God judged them quite harshly in that moment. And Paul, in all of this, is trying to give the people of Corinth a warning. Look back on your history. Let's let hindsight be 2020 vision for us. Let's look back on what the people did and let's not do that again because that did not go well for them and it will not go well for you. And in fact, Israelite history continues that while they repented in that moment, they continued to wander the wilderness and it's called the wilderness of sin for reason. The, the journey to the promised land was relatively short. It should not have taken them 40 years. But it took them 40 years because their hearts were so hard to sin. They were so steeped in the ways that they wanted to live life, not the ways that were best for them to live life, that God said, listen, of all of the people, millions, that I freed from Egypt, y'all are going to die in the wilderness. Your children will inherit the promised land. And only a handful of those who were freed from Egypt entered into the promised land. Not even Moses. Moses did not enter the promised land. Think about that for a moment. And then heed the warning that Paul is giving the church of Corinth because he says, we are no different than those people. We have just the same ability to fall flat on our face in sin. Just the same ability to be tripped up. Just the same ability to um, lift our own idols high and say, look what we have made with our own hands. Look at how we have provided for ourselves. And we forget the first commandment over and over and over again, which is the Lord your God is one and you will worship him alone, right? And we hear that repeated over and over and over again in scripture, ultimately down to when Jesus walked the face of the earth and they said, well, what should we do? What is the law? And Jesus says, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Ten Commandments summed up in one sentence, right? Or two sentences. How you relate to God and how you relate to other people. Um, Paul gives this warning and ends it in verse 12. And, and I like how it is ended. Um, so if you're, if you're following along, verse 12 in, in the English Standard Version reads this way. Therefore, right? Which means everything we've just talked about, dot, dot, dot. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. In other places in scripture, it said pride comes before a fall, right? He's checking our pride here. He's poking us in the chest and he's saying, check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Um, it's the rough translation of Paul's, Paul's verbiage here. Um, because we have the insane same ability to do this over again, to live this in our own life. Um, and, and he wants us to have fair warning not to do that because as he continues, uh, we're going to read 15 through 21 and we're going to see why this is so important. Why should we so carefully try and avoid what we shouldn't do? And, and it continues this way, starting in verse 15, a little, maybe sarcasm here from Paul. I assume I'm addressing believers who are now mature. Um, and and, and in, in the English Standard Version, it says, I speak to sensible people, so judge for yourself what I say. He's, he's appealing to the Corinth church, and he's saying, I really hope you guys can put two and two together here. I'm, I'm appealing to your intellect and your knowledge. You claim to have it. It's one of the things you pride yourselves on. So, so I'm going to kind of draw this out of you. I hope that I am addressing mature believers here. So draw your own conclusions from what I am about to say. When we drink the cup of blessing, aren't we taking into ourselves the blood, the very life of Christ? Uh, he's referring to the Passover meal, the communion elements. Uh, and isn't it the same with the loaf of bread that we break and eat? Don't we then take into ourselves the body, the very life of Christ? And because there is just one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. Rather, we become unified in him. Uh, we don't reduce Christ to what we are. Uh, rather, he raises us to what he is. And that's basically what happened even in old Israel. Uh, those who ate the sacrifices offered on God's altar entered into God's action at the altar. Do you see the difference? Sacrifices offered to idols are offered to nothing. For what's the idol but a nothing? Or, or worse than a nothing, a minus, a demon. I, I don't want you to become part of something that reduces you to less than yourself. And you can't have it both ways. You cannot banquet with the master one day and slum with demons the next. Kind of like how that's phrased. Can't banquet with the master and slum with the demons. Paul says that's exactly what the early, early uh, worshipers in Israel did. And that's exactly what the church in Corinth was doing. We talked a little bit about um, their idol worship and the freedom we have to worship. Uh, because in the Corinth church, 
there were um, many people who were influenced by the idol worship that existed in Corinth. Now, I, I read um, some of the history on the city of Corinth this week, and I was blown away. I mean, I knew it was an idolatrous city. We've talked about this every single week, about how it was the worst of the worst. I mean, it was a terrible, debaucherous place to live, okay? And if you were into that, that's where you went. You could do whatever you wanted. If you could think of it, you could find a place in Corinth to experience it. Um, and I read how many um, temples existed in the city of Corinth. Um, and it was fascinating. They were one per every city block, as it were. I mean, it's kind of like you look at Ketchikan and, you know, there's a bar on every block, right? Um, it's kind of the same mindset in Corinth with temples. They had temples to Roman gods. They had temples to Greek gods. They had fountains devoted to um, uh, worshiping um, through child sacrifice, okay? Um, and the actual act of child sacrifice was not currently active, but instead of sacrificing children, they baked clay figurines of children and sacrificed those. And this is all going on in Corinth at the time that Paul is preaching. And all of these people are being influenced by these temples and these altars and these sacrifices and these worshipings to pagan deities that are nothings, that don't exist, right? Or as Paul says, they could even be worse than nothing. They could be demonic and you could be worshiping in that way and you should not be claiming Christ and eating the elements of the body and the blood of Jesus and then going and participating in sinful practices outside of your church worship time, right? So this is where Paul is getting. If you, uh, you either participate with God or you participate with idol worship, but you cannot, you cannot do both. There is no room for both. You are either filled with the fullness of Christ or you are empty and striving to fill yourself with all this vain stuff that rolls around. There is no in-between in Paul's mind. You cannot participate. I think it's verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And this is fair warning to us. Um, we are a lot like Israel um, as Christ followers. That Israel was to teach us about what Christ wanted to do in our lives. Uh, they were the forerunner to show us a little bit about what was coming, that we were a nobody and then we were chosen. Why me? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why me? Why did God give grace here? Of all the things that I've done and all the things that I've said and all the ways that I lived, why me of all people, right? Paul even wondered that. Why me? I was the chief of sinners, right? And that's what Paul said. I have done all the sins, <laughs> the worst of them. Why me? And yet God in his great love chose us before the foundations of the world and, and gave us grace before we were even born. We call that, in the Nazarene church, we call that provenient grace, grace that kind of rolled the red carpet out before you so that when you began to walk life, you were already walking a path of grace so that you could see and understand God. He chose us. 
Um, and he rescued us from the domain of darkness. In scripture, it says he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light. That's really good. That is like being freed from Egypt, but like even better, right? Because um, it's not just a, a slavery nation, but it's the slavery of sin that captivates our hearts. He, he rescued us from that. He redeemed us, right? Um, he freed us from the things that enslaved us. And, and then even, even more so, like Israel, they escaped death on Passover night, right? As, as long as they painted the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, uh, they didn't die, rather they got freedom. That we experience the same thing with Christ, who is the Passover lamb for us. He was the one, he was crucified in, uh, remember he met with his disciples the night he was betrayed and, 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 and arrested. That's all on Passover. And so on Passover, he became the Passover lamb. He died in our place for our sins. And when we look up to him, lifted high above us, when we are struggling with our sin and the consequences of our sin, and, and he is lifted high, he is dying in our place for our sins. And when we believe that, not just know that, but when we believe that, his blood is painted on the doorpost of our heart. Death passes over us. Eternal death passes over us. And we receive eternal life through Christ. We then get to enter towards the promised land, right? And we walk then our lives towards the promised land, like Israel. But we don't want to wander for 40 years and then not make it, right? That's why the fair warning exists in Scripture. Um, we, we get this freedom from God through Passover, and then um, Paul likens it um, to walking through the, the Red Sea, the baptism waters, right? We see and we believe that Christ died in our place for our sins. We walk towards the baptism waters. And we have a baptismal right here um, that we like to baptize people in because it means that they are making a public statement about what has happened on the inside of their heart. They have believed in Christ. They have been freed from their sins. They can walk in holiness and pleasing God. And they just want to make that public. They just want to say, um, I believe that Jesus lived life for me, died for me, and now rose for me and brings me to eternal life. And that's what baptism symbolizes. And now we are led by the Holy Spirit as people, as Christ followers. We are led by the Holy Spirit. We get to drink of living water. Amen. Right? Jesus says it's water that never runs out. You will never be thirsty again if you drink of the living water, which comes from Christ Jesus, who is our rock, harkens it back to uh, ye Old Testament story, right? Um, and then we get to share in Christ's table. He invited us to participate in his body and his blood, the special meal, communion. He said, why don't you do this? And as often as you do this, remember me. Remember what I did for you. And yet, despite all of this that we have seen, why do we still choose sin? Why do we do it? I don't know. Um, Paul struggled with this. I love Paul. He's so relatable, right? I know what I should be doing, and I'm not doing it. I know what I shouldn't be doing, and I'm doing it. Ah, I'm the worst of sinners. Paul is so relatable to me. Um, if he struggled with that, and yet knew the grace of God and persevered, then we can too. Um, the, the people of Egypt, uh, Israel, who were freed from Egypt, 
and the people of the church of Corinth struggled with this same thing. They understood who God was. And in many ways, they believed that God was who he said he was. In their head. But in their heart, maybe not so much. Maybe not all the time. They had not fully given themselves in surrender to God yet. So, so at times, they gave their heart and their body and their possessions and their passions to something other than Christ. So in the church of Corinth, when they talk about eating meat that was offered to false idols, they would go and they would hang out at the temple to Athena or whoever. I mean, pick one. It was a dime a dozen on every street corner. And they would go and they would participate and they would eat the meat that was offered to the idol. Now, as Christians, we know that doesn't make the meat dirty. It's not what goes in the mouth that makes you dirty. It's what comes out of the heart that makes you dirty, right? But they would actually believe that that was worship to that God. And that then came from their heart. That was worship. And, and we do the same thing. Even today, though there are not temples to Athena on our street corners, you know, though they we're not doing like clay child sacrifice, you know, down the street anywhere. The worship is to false gods still very insidious and sneaky. And we have to recognize it in our individual lives because we build our own temples to false gods regularly where we then go and give our heart and our body and our passions and our possessions in worship. And it can look like a lot of really good, normal, everyday human stuff. But when it takes the place of Christ in our heart and our mind and our worship, it then becomes an idol and it becomes false worship and it becomes demonic. And that cannot exist simultaneously in our heart as Christ does. A Christ follower cannot both worship self and Christ. It has to be one or the other. And there comes a point in time in the life of a believer where you must choose this day whom you serve. And it's a daily choice, a momently choice, a sometimes second by second choice, depending on where you are in life, to choose to follow Christ. So um, let's read verses 13 and 14, and, and then we'll get some hope here. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. Can I get an amen? Amen. We are not alone in the struggle, right? You struggle, I struggle, we struggle. It's a struggle, right? We are on the struggle bus of Christianity together. This is a good thing, okay? All of you need to remember that God will never let you down. Yep, that's a good place to amen, people. He will never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. So my very dear friends, Paul says, when you see people reducing God to something that they can use or control, get out of their company as fast as you can. God is faithful, right? Yes. Problem. We tend to live our lives the way we want to live them and forget about God. We tend to sacrifice on the altars that we create. 
We struggle with sin and temptation all the time, but here is the things that you need to hold on to. One temptation is common, right? We all struggle. Even Christ was tempted, right? In the wilderness, if you read in the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. Coincidence? I don't think so, okay? Was in the wilderness struggling. Devil kept coming to him, be like, well, if you could just do this, you wouldn't have to experience the bad stuff. Well, if you just live this way, then you could. He was tempted and tempted and tempted and tempted and tempted continually for 40 days by the devil, right? That's pretty significant. And yet, he never once gave in, right? That's our hope, that he is perfect. But we need to know that temptation is not equal to sin, okay? Let's just clear this up for just a moment. You can be tempted all day, every day, and not sin, right? It is when you give in to that and act upon that temptation is when it becomes sin, right? So here's the thing. You can live a holy life and still be tempted every single day, okay? Um, God promises a way out. When you experience temptation, God promises a way out. Now, it may not be what you think, okay? Your way out, probably not the best way. Your way out will open another door towards some sort of other something that you probably shouldn't be sticking your nose in, okay? Um, and you look, at, you look at the story of Jonah, and, and he was swallowed by the whale, right? And he says, oh, Lord, save me, right? The whale was what saved him. When he was sinking down into the water, and he's like, Lord, I need a way out. Whale was not what he was thinking, right? That was not his plan. Three days in the belly of the beast, right? Not at all what he was going for. God used his providential wisdom to shape Jonah after his own heart. God will provide a way out from temptation for you. It might be a whale. <laughs> I don't limit God anymore. I used to think, God, if you could just work within these special bounds that I have set, that is reducing him to me. He wants to raise me up to his own, his own glory and mindset and the way that he does things. In fact, his thoughts are not my thoughts, right? His way is not my ways, i.e. whale, right? So let God provide for you a way out that is miraculous and beyond your conception. And in the process... As we endure this temptation day in and day out, waiting for the providential hand of God to be faithful, make a way out for us, we are being formed in the image of Christ. To resist temptation is to be made in the image of Christ. To resist temptation is a step towards holiness. To resist temptation, even when it's a really big struggle, right? Even when you really really want to. When you resist it, you're being formed in the image and the likeness of your God. You are being made holy when you say, I resist. I will resist. I will not do this. I absolutely will not engage. I really want, no, I will not. Right? That battle, that is producing in you holiness. That is what we are striving for as Christ people, to be holy it is an act of worship when you crucify the desires of your flesh because you are crucified with Christ and it's no longer 
I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? So if you want to be more like Christ, Paul says, to sum up this chapter, engage temptation. Don't surrender to it. Engage it means actively fight against it. Um, see it, know it for what it is, and resist it. In fact, um, it actually says in, in the scriptures, flee, flee temptation. What do you think of when you think of the word flee? Running away, yeah, <laughs> run away from it, right? That it, he can't be more clear. Get away from it as fast as you possibly can. And the ways that we do that cannot always be physical, right? We cannot always see temptation, scream, and run the other direction. That would make, that would, that would be so weird. If the situation calls for it, do it, right? Don't negate screaming and running the other direction. However, there are some really good tools you can use to resist temptation. And Jesus led us by example. He quoted scripture in the devil's face. Devil said, I would like you to engage this way and sin and blah, blah, blah. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. So I would, I don't, Jesus does. So I'll say it. Get some scripture tucked in your heart. Choose one or two verses that you can just know so deeply. And when you experience temptation, start quoting that scripture in your head. It could just be Jesus found himself in the form of a man. That one little verse. And you realize he came to be like me to save me. It could just be that simple. It could be from the Psalms or the Proverbs. It could be from Revelation, right? About God's majesty and how he's worshipped. It could be, it's all pretty good. Um, and, and choose one or two verses that you can easily memorize so that when you are tempted, scripture's right there, to resist the temptation. Um, also, Jesus prayed faithfully, regularly. He had a very good relationship with God the Father. Perhaps we would not struggle so much and cave in so much if we had a really good relationship with the one who doesn't want us to do those things. And we began to see his heart and his desire for our life. And we began to want less of what the flesh wants and more of what Christ wants. Um, there's also this really tricky one. People don't like this one. Uh, we would rather memorize scripture as challenging as that could be. We would, we would rather pray than ask for help. But we are oneness together in Christ. We are not manyness. We are oneness. Uh, it, we even read it today. This is all just common to man. Like, we all struggle. We're all on the struggle bus heading towards the Holy Land, right? So why can't we ask for help from people? People who are in the faith community, who have walked life before us, who may have struggled with the very same thing we are struggling with, and they have resources and wisdom and experience to be able to help us resist temptation. We should not feel shame when we say, I struggle with X, Y, or Z. Is anyone willing to pray for me and help me through this? Has anyone experienced this and come out the other side? I need some help. That should be what holy people do. There is not um, shame in that. In fact, it is a very holy thing to go, I'm struggling and need help, and the church to go, yes, 
Let us pray for you. Let us help you as something that brings glory to God. And then, lastly, when we do sin, and we will, let's repent of it. Let's not not repent of it. Repent of it because that robs the devil of the authority in our life. It removes the shame that we heap upon ourselves. We don't need to carry shame. There is no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So therefore, let us repent of the sins that we do commit and ask God for the strength to resist that one in the future. He is able to do that. He is faithful to do that. He wants to do that. So let us live that way. Let's pray. The worship team will come and lead us in a song. And, and this will be a very good time for you to repent of some sins, right? To um, uh, ask God to reveal to you the areas that you are not even aware of that are sinful so that you may pursue holiness fully. Lord, we love you. Um, the ways that you are faithful to us are amazing. We can recount them from the beginning of time down to now, the ways that you have worked in the lives of your people. And it is so easy to look at scripture and go, yeah, you worked that way then, but, and discount our own personal life, but you worked in our lives on the cross and you are working in our lives right now through the Holy Spirit. And so I pray as we sing this song that you would actively work in our hearts and minds, that we wouldn't just know in our mind, but that we would be convicted and believe in our heart that you are Lord, that you died on the cross in our place for our sin, that you rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of light, that you are enabling us to choose holiness over sin. May you make that a reality for us now, I pray. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.